Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago, his words came to pass. AD 70, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The temple destroyed. Sacrifices ceased. The end of the age. So where are we at on the prophetic timeline of history? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and that we have been made kings and priests to reign here on earth. The Revelation Red Pill, the kingdom of God is now. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Welcome back to Revelation Red Pill Wednesday. We are your hosts, Leah and Michelle. So excited. We have been doing this for 14 weeks. Oh my gosh, that's like longer so than we did the, Re the Revelation Academy before. This is a, I'm just really excited about this. So, ten, so last week, we went into Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, where, you know, the dream that uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar has and Daniel interprets it. And it's the big guy with the, you know, the feet of iron and clay and all these, and it's all these kingdoms and all of that, yeah. right? We broke that down last week. And then the the different beasts. So yeah. we had in, in, San, in Daniel's dream, there's four beasts um, and we broke down um, the four beasts and we broke them down into the Babylonian Empire, mm -hmm. the Medes and Persians, where you had um, the the two break off, and then the, the one, the the goat with one horn bigger than the other. Yeah, it was very fascinating. Uh -huh. And we actually the, had some images to show people for the that. The Medes and Persians. Actually. Then you had the um, Alexander the Great, which was, let's see, the first was a lion and had the eagle's wings, and I had to held beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted from the earth so that was babylon and then behold another beast uh, a second like a bear and it raised itself oh that's what it was it the bear raised itself on one I'm side but there was had, the horn i think and it had three ribs in its mouth and those were um the 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 three um kings yeah the three kings and between the teeth of it and they said uh thus into it arise and devour much flesh and after this i beheld lo uh, one like a, a leopard, which had four wings on its back. So a leopard represents Alexander the Great, which is the kingdom is Greece and very quick. And it had four wings. Um, and it also had uh, four heads and dominion was given to that. And Alexander the Great, the kingdom of Greece was broken up into four uh, distinct regions. And then the fourth beast, which was dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong, great iron teeth, devoured and broken pieces and stamped the residue with its feet and it had 10 horns so that represents the roman empire the whole point of us going over these and kind of even going over them one more time is about time it's about the fact that when you read these pr prophetic prophecies in daniel there's not a breakup well, in time well, also, I want to remind the listeners, when it comes to the book of Daniel, Daniel's prophecy and these kingdoms that we explained last week in episode 13 are so perfectly depicted by even atheist historians, okay? They question whether Daniel actually even wrote this because it so perfectly depicts these kingdoms all right so that's how accurate 
these specific weeks are. Now, what are these weeks? These in within, so we're talking about Daniel 70 weeks. Most people kind of ignore all of this stuff. It gets, oh, it's too much. It's over your head, but we want to bring it down so that you can understand it. But one thing that you need to know is that as we get into this, when you're talking about end times and eschatology, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, uh, all of the, you know, preterism, whatever it is you want to call yourself or nothing, whatever, but the study of the end times, Daniel 70 weeks are pivotal. It's very, very important. And so like Leah was writing in today's description, how you interpret Daniel 70 weeks is going to determine your outlook for the authority that you walk in right now. Are you keeping me on track because you want people to have a taste of what's coming? No, but I want them to know why the 70 weeks is okay. so, so vitally important. And so last week fits in, everything we studied last week at episode 13 fits within these 70 weeks, right? Yeah. So now we're gonna break down the 70 weeks and the, um, the last week, the last week that a lot of uh, end time scholars try to put somewhere in the distant future. So I am really excited about tonight because this is going to be a very cool tool to have in your toolbox when you are discussing end times theology with your friends and other people and your family. Absolutely. Um, but I do want to do a refresher on... We if, should open if, in prayer. Okay. First. Dear Holy Father, we come before you. We lift up every single person that's watching this, whether they're watching this on the present, in the present, live right now, or back 5, 10, 15 years down the road. I pray that you will speak to them, that you will open their heart and reveal things to them that maybe we didn't even say, mm. but you will show to them what you are saying, what you were saying to your prophet Daniel and what you are saying right now and reveal your word in their heart, shed it abroad so that they may be able to assimilate it, take it in, digest it, and then spread the gospel the good news, the kingdom of God from this episode, Amen. anything that people are going through with their families. I just pray that you heal it up, that you bless them and that you uh, cause them to walk in that kingdom power that we yeah. have been talking about for the past 13 or 14 weeks. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, the reason I want to do a refresher over uh, Daniel 2 and 7 is because it sets up the whole idea of timing. So I, d I don't think that you guys have this yet. I okay. don't have it, and I've been I've been over it several times. Okay, because when you understand that Daniel is the key to understanding biblical prophecy, get your pen, get your paper, okay, get your Bible. You cannot understand Revelation until you have stop. Do not read Revelation. <laughs> do not pass go. Stop reading Revelation. Stop. Okay. She said stop it. trying to figure out Revelation. Okay. If somebody hands you a map mm -hmm. and then I tell you there's a key over here, which is a key. What is a key for a map? It shows you what all the symbols mean. Okay. It shows you what all, what all the symbols mean. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of times it'll have like a distance, a mileage distance. If you don't have this key in Daniel, revelation will not make sense and you will go cross-eyed. You not only do you not have the key, but you don't have the mileage and your map is upside down. Because I'm telling you, even with Daniel, Revelation doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And if you don't, it, it really doesn't. They're the timing in Revelation, the timestamps don't match up perfectly with Revelation. Okay? You've got to have, you've got to have an understanding of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. 
and not just Daniel, but Daniel is the biggest key. And you can begin to play around with trying to understand Revelation once you have a firm grasp of Daniel. You will not fully understand Revelation until you have a firm grasp on the Old Testament lesser prophets, the ones that you never read from, you never, nobody preached from in you know, church. some of my favorites though, by the way. Zephaniah, I Zechariah, Amos, Job, Haggai. Hag Haggai, Malachi, every single one of those guys was prophesying Jesus in the coming kingdom. Okay. And John pulls together this amazing revelation and he pulls from every single one of those books. And so the, you, we're trying to go backwards. Yeah. We're trying to understand and read revelation and then go find it in the old Testament. Okay. And then try, we, we have an understanding that we think we have from the new Testament epistles and then go find some scriptures and the scriptures that we don't understand in the old Testament. We just kind of, we're just going to ignore those for a little while. Okay. No, no, no. Start in the beginning. Okay. Remember that the 12 disciples were all Jewish. Here it comes. And remember that Jesus revealed himself to them and then also revealed himself to Paul without what's called the New Testament. One of my favorite. He did it with the Old Testament. One of my favorite uh, scriptures is that when Jesus came and he rose from the dead, he walked with the disciples and he revealed to them all the things in the Old Testament that spoke about him. I love it. And it took a long time to do that. Right. And so what you will, you will understand the Bible when you do one thing, Jesus reveal yourself to me in the Old Testament. Come on. Because when you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in the Old Testament, you will not be a premillennial dispensational rapture person because you will see that the kingdom is now. You will see him. That's awesome. That you will see him. Okay. So Sir Thriving Mama says Johnny Enlow just did a great show about this. Okay. Awesome. Check that out. Awesome. 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 All right. So. I want to just go over Daniel's kingdoms one more time. Okay. Daniel's getting a prophecy during the time of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He tells King Nebuchadnezzar, timestamp, you're the gold. You're in this. Okay. So we know where, the, the gold. So we know where it starts. We know where it starts. Okay. So he says, uh, and O King, you had this, you had this dream. I'm going to tell you this dream. And thou, O king, the dream that you saw, the great image, the great image whose brightness was excellent and stood before you, and the form thereof was terrible. Why did this king have this dream? Because he was part of it. He was part of history. All right? So he says, the, the image was fine gold, the breast and arms were silver, his belly was thighs or brass, and legs of iron. We're talking about one after another. One segment of time, time frames, boom, 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 boom. Okay, we're not talking about throwing people into the future 2000, even a couple, even, even like stopping for a second. It's seamless. This is all seamless. It's seamless until you get to the 69th week. Yeah, exactly. According to end timers. All of Daniel is prophesying Jesus coming and the Messiah and, and his kingdom. Jesus is coming. What Corey does 
better than most people that I know is explain the kingdom that is at hand, the kingdom that's there, the kingdom that Jesus says, here I am, this kingdom. What kingdom was he referring to? The kingdom of Daniel, the kingdom, everlasting kingdom. He's saying it's here, it's now, it's at hand, but it's not of this world. It's of a different world that will have repercussions in this world. And what did he say to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So these the idea that we are separating kingdoms in this earth from the kingdom in heaven is absolutely diabolical. I, I want to ask you a question on that prayer. Okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Is that a prayer that Christians were supposed to pray for 2,000 years for a time that they would never see while they were alive? No, it's a Were they never supposed coming. to see his kingdom come? Were they never supposed to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? No, it's was that, to, Were they praying it in the future yeah. for all these other people? No. no they were no. praying it. It's supposed to be for you for every day. Okay, so he had the legs of iron, the feet of iron, and, and you saw that a stone was cut without hands. And we talked about that stone. Jesus is the stone. And it, and, it, and it smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay. This was all one beast, consecutive, consecutive um, kingdoms, okay? Consecutive kingdoms. And this is a dream. And we will tell you the interpretation, king. You, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom and power and strength and glory. Do you know what Jesus came to do? He took away kingdom mm -hmm. and power and glory from any king on earth. That's good. And then when Jesus comes, every knee shall bow to him as king. Do you understand? Before Jesus, there were kingdoms. God gave men kingdoms. Mankind. Nebuchadnezzar was given that kingdom. Yeah. Alexander the Great was given that kingdom. Rome was given that kingdom. Now she's shouting. And then Jesus comes and sets up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Yeah. Okay. He's giving him the interpretation. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, has he given into your hand? Did he give them, did he give to Nebuchadnezzar Fiji Islands? He is saying the whole world, the whole known world. Do you understand the world that they're talking about? Get that in your head. What was the world? He says the whole world here was given into Babylon. This is, this is a region. Okay. And after you will rise another kingdom. So we have Babylon and he's saying after you. Mm -hmm. Time frame, time frame, time frame, time frame. Get it in your skull. Time frame, time frame, time frame. He doesn't say in the future. He doesn't say way out into the future. He says you right here. He doesn't say that this will have another fulfillment. Stop it. Oh boy. Stop that. You are making things up. Not you, the people who are brainwashed and brainwashing you. And after you will rise another kingdom inferior to you. And then on another third kingdom of brass. So you, another guy, and another guy. Okay? Another kingdom in time frame. Okay? Which shall bear rule over all the earth. That is Greece, the brass. Okay? And the fourth kingdom. Not America. Not Russia. Not in the future, you stinking nincompoops. And I know, I know, I'm getting a little You're out of hand. You're getting nincompoopy. Okay, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong. One, kid, one, two, three, up. Oh, just kidding. We're done. We're coming back in 2,000 years for the fourth kingdom. Stop it. Daniel doesn't do that. Do not put your own things into the text. Okay, everything in the New Testament must be 
must confirm what was in the old. That's Always. Good. Okay? All right. So the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, as the iron that breaks all uh, breaks all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. That's Rome. And where you saw the feet of toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. We, Rome was not ruled by one guy. It was kind of, but what did Rome have? Rome had a Senate. And Rome had different Caesars that they kept deposing. That's the ten toes. That's the divided kingdom. Because they were the first kind of representative government, even with the Caesar. Okay, that's the division. Was there any Senate under Nebuchadnezzar? No. Was there any Senate under the Medes and Persian? No. Was there any Senate under Alexander the Great? Absolutely stinking not. Okay, that's the dividing kingdom that he was explaining Rome. Do you not think that Daniel is going to prophesy the very kingdom from which the Messiah was going to be birthed from? When the time was right, the Messiah was born in the fourth kingdom. And Daniel saw it. And that's why it was so powerful. And that's why it was so anointed. Because this was the kingdom that was going to birth the king. The Messiah was born in a kingdom. And then he ripped into the heart of that kingdom. And he tore that kingdom. And that power and that authority. And he tore it down. And he set up a kingdom that shall never be moved. Find the time. This is Daniel. I'm not making it up. You can't call me a liar without calling Daniel a liar. This is logic. <laughs> this is perfect. Why would the prophets not prophesy mm. the greatest kingdom that the world has ever seen and the Messiah was going to be birthed in that Roman Empire? Now, I get why you're excited. There are going to be some people who have no idea what you're talking about. They don't know what it means to have the 69th week beyond pause. They don't get it. We haven't gone there yet. We haven't told them. They don't know what your fervency is. They do know. We're, we're, here's the thing. I'm not in the 69th week yet. I'm still in the Daniel kingdoms. And every... Here's the thing. If, if, you, don't, if you don't believe in the end times, you can listen. <laughs> and you can learn some stuff. I'm talking to those people go who believe in the Kelly. end times and they need to know every single preacher who preaches the end times preaches that this fourth kingdom has yet to come is we're like in it or yeah. Okay. 2000 years later, Tony says you have to yell LOL. I do. I believe what you are saying, <laughs> but Tony does have a question. Uh, will we still have a battle that is coming? I know that God has already won, but a battle on earth? No, it's a valid question. Like, let's say Tony hasn't been tuning in to all, all of the other Revelation Red Pills. Tony? Tony's excited. She's excited. She's like, I believe what you're saying. You're talking about will a battle Armageddon happen at the end, end, end of all times? First of all, you need to watch all these from the beginning. There's, this is our 14th episode. We are not looking for a worldwide battle, no. No. And that's exciting! No, we are not looking for a worldwide battle. You know why? Because the the king has come. Mm. The battle is over. 
we now walk out the kingdom. And what does that mean though? There is a battle. The battle is daily as we go in to tear down, or like we've said in episodes before, the, the high places to um, evangelize the high places, the rulers, the principalities, these demonic forces that Christians haven't gone in to kick out yet. We have the authority because Jesus Christ won. So the idea behind Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays is to exemplify that the, Jesus said over and over again, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. And he always described it as something that starts off small and grows bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah. he won. And now we, it is our job and it's God's perfect okay. design to have us walk it out. Let's follow, let's, let's everyone open up their Bibles and Leah will breathe to Daniel, Daniel chapter two. And I want you to go to chapter, verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. That's the Roman empire. Why? Because the Roman empire mixed its rule with everyday kind of, kind of everyday people with the, with, with the Caesars mixed with the Senate. Okay. And where you saw the iron mix of the miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they will not cleave one to another, even as iron doesn't mix with clay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it doesn't really work to have a Caesar in a Senate. In America, we did it right. God did it right. Okay. But verse 44, highlight it, underline it, write it on a piece of paper and put it above your mantle. And in the days of these kings, I'm going to say this one more time. In the days of these kings, we are watching a time frame. We are looking from the time of Daniel to the time of the Messiah. Hmm. And he literally prophesies every single kingdom. And then in the days, within the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. The end timers believe that this is in the future and that his kingdom has not been set up. This is called schizophrenic Christianity because they know that that Revelation and Paul, they talk about we are reigning as kings and priests. And they talk we about how the royal kingdom of God is here. A holy nation, a people of God's own possession. So that kingdom is set up. Jesus even said the kingdom has come. The verse 44 stops end timers in their tracks. Okay. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people, but it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. This is why Christians reign here on earth. Because there are no earthly kings to reign anymore. Because God used to work through... Babylon, the Edomites, the Moabites. There were times when God would use these different Assyrians Kingdoms. to punish the Israelites. God's not doing that anymore. He's saying, I'm setting up this kingdom that shall never be moved, never broken. And this is Jesus. Jesus came to set this up. This is good news. Very good. Okay. News. It's the good news. For as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king, which shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Okay. That is for sure. This is Jesus has said, my kingdom has come. Here I am now going to Daniel. It's the same thing. But going, he sees another, this is Daniel sees this vision. Okay. And it, and it wrecks him. Uh, 
in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions upon his bed. Um, and he wrote up and he saw, um, he saw this and it was, it was, it just, it just shook him to the core. Okay. So he saw the, he saw what, what Nebuchadnezzar saw, but he saw it in a different way. Cause God was really trying to, 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 to show him this. So we've got, um, the, the different beasts, we've got the lion, we've got the bear, we've got the leopard. Um, and then we have a great beast that doesn't have a name. It mm -hmm. just has, it has, um, it's just a great beast. And, and it says that. I consider all the horns and behold, there came up from a, one of them, a little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow. And this is so very interesting. So we see the four king kingdoms in Daniel four, and that is in an algebraic equation. That's a, okay. He sees this again, but he sees it a differently, and that's B. A plus B equals C, okay? So what he's seeing in verse 9 is the same thing that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw in verse 44, and in, in, or the interpretation of what Nebuchadnezzar saw in verse 44 of chapter 2. So I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days still sit, did sit. This is what Daniel was saying, ta prophesying in, verse two, in chapter 2 of the kingdom that should never be built or never the kingdom that shall never be broken and whose garment was white as snow and the hair of its head was like pure wool and his throne was like a fiery flame and his wheels were a burning fire and the fiery stream issued and came forth from before him thousands and ten and thousands ministered unto him and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him the judgment was set and the books were opened revelation 5 11. And I beheld then because of the voice of the great words, which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burst, the burning flame. And we are talking about Rome. Okay. Rome. Um, as concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion. And that was the rest of the beasts were Babylon, the Medes and Persians and Greece, because there's always a remnant of these, these continuing empires. And I have this up here so that they okay. can look at it. Uh, and concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Meaning the, the, the earth was still under kind of these kingdoms. Okay. And I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man come with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given to him a dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, which shall not be destroyed. And then he, he, he explains this. Okay. And he says, um, I, Daniel was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. And I came near unto one of them that stood by. It was an angel. And he says, could you explain to, to me all this? So he told me and he made known the interpretation of things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise from the earth. But the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's you. And that's me. And that's now. But the, but the uh, end timers, they get it all discombobulated because they don't feel victorious today. They speak forth negative things 
and then their fault, their false prophecies are self-fulfilling prophecies. If you keep saying I'm fat and ugly, then you probably will become fat and ugly. Oh dear Lord. Okay. But if you say that I am victorious in Christ, you have that victory. It is yours. You have the keys to a house. You have the deed. But if you choose not to live in it and you camp outside, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. I want to read this comment here from Tony. Um, there are so many prophets that are still talking about the old interpretation of revelations. It's very confusing. This is what I would say to those prophets. If you notice something, Tony, most of my favorite prophets out there that are still like you they said, have revamped their whole deal. They are they getting, changed. they are getting words from God that we're victorious, that we're victorious. And, and they're actually revamping modern end times theology to fit the victorious prophetic. So they are hearing from God. They totally are Bull hearing pony. from God. Yes. Um, we were just done with David Hedner. He's big into end times, but he's like the land promises. And he's taking all those scriptures in the old Testament that the end timers say ain't for you. And he's using them. And right. so I am like, mm -hmm. uh huh. And so what I do is I, I encourage yes. when they get, they're using those scriptures that, that the end timers and the dispensationalists say that those are just for Israel. Well, Maybe those are for me, and they're claiming them. Yes. So they're because they're they have got a they've got it partly right and partly, but they feel in their spirit. So that what they say is we're going to be victorious until Jesus. They've changed their tune, and they're starting to sing the right song. Because here's the deal: I think people, the old way of looking at a prophet, okay, is the Old Testament way, where if they get one thing wrong, then you can't listen to anything that they say. That's not what we operate in right now. We're not those kinds of prophets. Right. Okay. The gifts of the spirit, right? That we have the fivefold ministry that mm. includes the prophetic. It's not the same thing. All right. No. And so God not. has these people very focused on a, on a calling when it is time for them to get this, which is actually happening right now. And we know of a few who are getting this message and I'm hoping that they'll come out with it very soon. Yeah. Uh, they just haven't gotten it downloaded all the way yet. And then once they do, they'll come forward with it. So be patient. Cause I think that a lot of them, especially since Johnny Enlow's uh, coming out, I think a lot of them are getting it. They just don't have it as solid in themselves yet. And, and as soon as they do, they don't want their viewers to go on uh, away on them shocked. and they're good friends. I will let you know, coach Dave is not, he gets this. He does. Okay. All right. So, um, so he's, he's like, I would know the truth of the fourth beast. He wants to know a, What's this fourth beast, uh, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were like iron and his nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. Rome conquered everyone and everything and had no pity. Okay. And of the 10 horns that were in his head and of the others, which came up and before him, three fell, even that of the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, whose uh, look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came. Do you know that Nero would uh, dip believers in oil and use him as, use them as candlesticks? Roman candles. Okay. That they were prevailed against. They were losing. Truthfully. They were being martyred. They were being put into to, um, coliseums with sheepskin on them and devoured. Yes. But that's not where we stay. Because the Ancient of Days came. Uh, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Okay. Thus he said, uh, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. One, two, three, four. There was nothing. Don't you know 
that um that Daniel doesn't know how to count. <laughs> Leah's being that there is a huge gap between three and four, mm. and it's. 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, 3.345, and a and hundred up until four. Oh no, no, gosh. no. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth. One, two, three, four. Can you count with me? Come on, everybody. The one, two, three, four. Okay. In succession, the fourth kingdom on the earth. Uh, unless God's a liar. Don't call him a liar. And shall be diverse among the rest. Um, and devour the whole earth and it shall tread it down and break into pieces. Remember, we went back into um, Daniel chapter two, where he told Nebuchadnezzar, you're king over all the earth. This was all the earth, the known world at the time. And the 10 hordes uh, out of his, this kingdom are 10 kings. These are Caesars that would rise. Uh, and another shall rise after them and he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time the judgment shall sit shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall Serve and obey him. Now, I have a question to you, Michelle. That sounds like revelation. Does Jesus does at every does does every, is every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord now? Right now, yes. The saints have possessed the kingdom now. Yes, right now. And three hundred years after this, what happened? Constantine made Christianity not after this. Three hundred years after Jesus. Yes. Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the whole world. Amazing he could do that. I know, right? But here I'm saying, <laughs> think about it. Exactly. Now, of course, what we don't have the you don't have prophecies of the Roman Empire uh, of the of Rome, Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. to tell you what to do about it. Right. Now we just need now we need to get our own house in order. Uh oh. That's us. We're not looking for Jesus to come and fix the Roman Catholic Church. That's just on us. It took one guy, Martin Luther, who just got a word from God and was like, Yeah, oh, a hammer. Faith, and a nail and faith a paper. alone, scripture alone. It just takes one or two at this point, it just takes one or two of us to get this and we can write the whole ship of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God on this earth. However, speaking of ships that need righted and the Catholic Church. You know, you don't find a lot of dispensationalism in the Catholic Church as you much don't. as... So I'm just saying, we got to give the Catholics props. Let me read a couple comments over here. Um, That's true, Leah. We must change our speak, says Sherry. In pursuit, so good to see you. Hey, hey, sisters. Um, Their days are numbered. Isaiah 41 says, I hope so because they are sucking me dry. Who wants to go with me to the IRS headquarters? I'm ready to kick them out. That was in response to all of that. Oh, we'll um, go. We'll all go. She says, I think the problem is our ways are not the Lord's. I would kick the enemy to the curb and take over. God wants us to co-rule with Jesus. So he expects to help with this effort. He expects us. Yeah. He expects to help with this effort. So yes, yeah. 100%. It all goes back to the fall, right? Um, It's almost like God is a republic or a democracy. Like, um, but you can, we can do the kingdom of one. It just takes one person yeah. to set and push out evil, but he has to work with us because those are the constraints the that he, he put it. upon earth. It's right? a beautiful by thing. By one man, Adam, sin, sin entered, uh, by one man, Christ, all can be forgiven. Yep. And then he, this is how God works with us. Mm -hmm. And in this system, we are storing up treasures in heaven. 
we are um, living in communion with him in this earth that he has. Otherwise, like, why would he even create earth and then give us an opportunity to accept Jesus as a, as a savior? That goes back to, I. he wants people to make a choice for him. Amen. He didn't, he, he already had the angels who right. had to serve him, right. who had to obey. He wanted children who would choose him. And then he went, and then when we, when we kind of turned our back on, I say we, cause it's Adam, it's human mm -hmm. nature, right? If it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been another human. Yeah. Okay. The, but the design for God and his creation was for us to take dominion. So then he put a way in for us to do that. And he yeah. wants us to partake in that. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, One last comment. Sam says the veil is being lifted. I'm so pumped. This is the best time to be alive. It is. All right. Now buckle up because we're going into Daniel 70 weeks. All right. The Bible prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks is either a messianic prophecy that foretells a bap the baptism of Jesus Christ and the year of his crucifixion, or it is a prophecy that tells of the coming of the Antichrist in a seven year tribulation period. These two are so diametric that one cannot even begin to be a type in a shadow. If it's Christ, the Messiah, and he's the fulfillment of Daniel 70 weeks, then a future Antichrist is completely ruled out of an interpretation of Daniel chapter. Now we're going to do Daniel chapter 9. I'm okay? going to grab the link to this blog that Leah wrote a while ago, and I'm going to pop it in the chat for you guys. If you want to follow along, if you have multiple screens and you can do that, I'm going to yeah. put it in the chat. This is the one of the major underpinnings of the modern pre-tribulation millennial seven-year rapture theology. And it will cease to exist tonight in your minds. 70 weeks uh, cut off in Daniel 9, 20 through 27. We, we find an angel explaining the 70-week time prophecy to Daniel. The fulfilled interpretation is that there is no gap uh, that to be placed between the 69th week, which is what modern end time uh, theologists do, and the 70th week. The 70th week would follow the 69th week in logical sequence, which is what I just explained to you with the four kingdoms. Logical sequence. Listen, if we don't see what we think we we should see, but we need to go back to the be the beginning. Okay, that's why just go back to Daniel and then move forward. Go back to Daniel and then move forward. Okay, if things don't line up, just go back to Daniel and then move forward. So here we go. Uh, to start off, let's remember that our main man Daniel is in Babylon in captivity when he's getting this um, all these great visions and dreams and prophecies. He might be enjoying a bit of success with the various rulers of Babylon, but his heart is for his people, knowing it is their sin and their apostasy that led them to be taken away captive. Notice that there is a heaviness on Daniel's. They're not where they should be. Okay. That's God is in Jerusalem. God is in the, is in the temple. Mm. We're away from our God and our, uh, it is very sad. Okay, so he's getting a prophecy. The prophecy is in the first year of Darius, which means that it is it occurred uh, in the year 539 BCE or about 66 or 67 years after the Jews initially went into exile in Babylon. All right, let's read Daniel chapter 9, Michelle. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your prophets and your judgments. Precepts. 
Presets, thank you. Presets and judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants and the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse of the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. I'm going to pause right here while I'm reading all of this. Okay, this is very important to understand. And I know we've got a lot to get through. But as we're doing Revelation Red Pill, it is very easy and many people will read these scriptures. And because it feels very applicable to right now, our brains interpret it that this must be for right now. It must be for us. Look at how we've sinned. Look at how we've gone away from God. Many people, you guys would be surprised, read scriptures like this that are very clearly not about us today and think it means that it is for us today. However, I will say this, the scripture is alive. So if we're reading this and it's applicable to us, utilize it, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely, 100% utilize it. But here's a couple of, of things, key points that will prove to you. It says, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law. Who are we talking about here? Very clearly, Daniel is talking about the people that he is with right then, right there. Well, he, he's, he starts it out just right there. He said, Daniel... Um, was was searching the books for Jeremiah. Jeremiah got a prophecy and said that they would be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Right. And as those 70 years were coming to an end at, at 67, maybe 66, 67 years, he sought God. So God, please forgive us. Send us back. Can we utilize this scripture for us for right now though? Yeah. Because it, it all scripture is alive. All right. Verse 12. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke uh, against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such as has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. This is something that has already happened. He was talking about it right then. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous, and in all the, his, all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those that are around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications for the the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So uh, side note, sometimes when you go to pray for one thing, God is going to answer that prayer by showing you something else deeper. Wow. And now you're going to see that God is answering his prayer and he's going deeper now. What's very interesting 
is that how long were they in captivity? How long was Jeremiah prophesied that they'd be in captivity? How many years? 70. Oh, you're asking me? Yeah. 70 years. Okay. Sorry. So we also now have a 70 weeks week prophecy. Now, go ahead. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel. Oh, my angel. <laughs> angel alert whom i had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly reached me about the time of the evening offering and he informed me and talked with me and said oh daniel i have now come forth to give you skill to understand at the beginning of your supplications the command went out and i have come to tell you for you are greatly beloved therefore consider the matter and understand the vision can we just stop right there i got goosebumps on my face leah listen remember how i just said these things can apply to us. We need to understand that when we pray, literally Gabriel says to Daniel, as soon, as soon, boom, I'm going for you, baby. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. You got, when you're praying the right prayer, all over, when you're praying the right prayer, angels come move. Come on. Okay. That is so good. And I guarantee you, you start doing the right prayer at the right time. Mm, mm, God's mm. going to give you dreams and visions for the future. Come on. All right. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Leah, okay. who's the most holy? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So 70 weeks to do, to make an end of sins make reconciliation for iniquity to bring an everlasting righteousness. Do you know, Michelle, do you have everlasting righteousness? Yes, I do. Did you have that before Jesus? No, I did not. So it's everlasting now. Like you're totally righteous. Yes. Before God. Forever. Forever. But you didn't have it before Jesus. Did not. Okay. So but it, there was a time frame given to, to accomplish these things. And it was 70 weeks. Yes. Not 69. Mm -mm -mm. 70. Come on. To All bring, right. to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Jesus. When the dove came down on Jesus, was the most holy anointed? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Yes. All right. Go ahead. All right. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the okay. prince. Restore and build Jerusalem, which is at the end of 70 weeks with Jeremiah, what... You guys, they went and they went and it was a temple and they rebuilt it, Ezra, you know, and they did. And it wasn't as good as the first. And they were kind of sad from the going forth from that time mm. until who? The Messiah, the prince. So is this, this is Jesus. And this is 70 weeks. This is rebuilding the temple. Not a third temple, not a fourth temple, not a 20th temple. Rebuilding the temple. One time. And then Jesus. No more. No, stop. You don't get to add any more. End timers add all kind of stuff here. You get this scripture right now. You write down uh, Daniel 9.25. And when people come to you and they and you say, until Jesus did. And you ask them, did Jesus come? Did Jesus come? There shall be. Go ahead. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, 
but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. I want you to see the abomination that makes desolate. Um, in Matthew 24, it's called the abomination of desolation. Jesus is referring to this. But in Luke 21, it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Mm. Those two things. Luke says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Matthew says, the, when you see the abomination of desolation. Those are the, those are the same parallel scriptures, okay? When Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, that was the abomination desolation. That is this, and and this is where we get this is where we're going to get a little bit technical, but not a lot because you saw something. You can do math. You can say, Leah, sixty-two weeks, seven weeks, sixty-nine weeks. Uh huh. Yeah, that's sixty-nine weeks. So what the end timers do is they stop it right there. And they say, okay, wait, where's the rest? Well, I'm going to show you where the rest is. Well, and I want to just point something out here. All right. For... He is explaining. Go ahead. No, let's just, let's, let's just pause right and here. We at... have a timestamp. Yeah. Um, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. That's when he destroyed her. That's when he just, he, he didn't do that until 8070. But what I'm saying is, if that's in the middle of that last week, right? It says, but in the middle of that week, okay? He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Mm, do you understand what I'm saying? We can't be waiting for the last week there. We literally cannot be waiting because we have a timestamp right there. Then he shall confirm a covenant with them, uh, with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall uh, bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the population of desolation, one shall be the one who makes desolate. All right, here we go. God is a covenant God, Daniel uh, 9, 4. Covenant keeping God. Keeping God. And he faithfully keeps the covenant even when Israel violates their covenantal status to the point of repudiating the prophetic covenant lawyers and enduring covenantal curse. Daniel knew the law brought a curse if we mm. didn't obey, okay? You guys understand that? Daniel was saying when he said according to the law of Moses... God made a covenant with the people. If you do this, then I will do this. And if you don't do this, then I'm then you're going you're going to get in trouble. Okay. Significantly, we must note that Daniel nine is the only chapter in all of Daniel to use God's special covenant name, Jehovah. We got a star in the chat. Shemaine is here. Oh my goodness, my girl Shemaine, <laughs> who I love so much, is here. Shemaine Nugent. If y'all don't know who she is, then I don't know what you know. <laughs> Ted Nugent's wife. She's absolutely amazing. You should be following her. You know she's got a rap show on Sundays. I know. It's awesome. I think it's like at 10 or 11 a.m. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Yehovah Yahweh is used. All right. This prayer about the covenantal loyalty receives an answer structured by the covenantal Sabbath pattern of 70 weeks, which results in the confirmation of the covenant. The clear covenantal structure of this prophecy virtually demands a focus on Christ's fulfillment of redemption during his ministry. The number seven is familiar 
to people who understand the Old Testament, Sabbatic law. The prophecy of the 70 weeks follows Sabbatic chronology, Levitical 20, Leviticus 25. The Hebrew word Shabuam, which is translated week in Daniel 9.24, literally means sevened. Kind of cool. All right. Daniel receives this prophecy in the first year of Babylon's fall to Persia, Daniel 9.1. While he contemplates the approaching conclusion of the 70 weeks, 70 years ca capacity that we were just talking, captivity, which we were talking about with Jeremiah, um, his prophecy, Israel's failure to observe the Levitical Sabbath rests for the land originally causes the Babylonian captivity. All right. So if we want to understand the significance of the 70th week, we need to understand the significance of what seven times 70 is. It's 490 years. So Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you. The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, you sow your fields. And for six years, you prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Don't sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself and for your maidservant and your man, a manservant and the hired worker and temporary resident. Okay, whatever the land produces may be eaten. God's method of reckoning time is often called the Jubilee calendar because the 50th year of celebration or the Jubilee year. In fact, the 70 weeks in Daniel 9 and other prophetic time periods in Daniel and Revelation are based on God's weekly calendar. Count off seven Sabbath of years. In, in times uh, seven years, even, even, even times uh, seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of how many? 49 years. Then had the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee for you in the 50th year. Now, Isaiah 61. What does Jesus say? What is one? I have come to proclaim the year of Jubilee. All right. So when this is so cool, watch Jesus. So Jesus read in the temple often. Yes. But there's only one time that it was recorded of what he said. Okay. In the New Testament. It says, go ahead. The spirit of the Lord, sovereign Lord, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for uh, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. OK, and that's where he stops, actually. And he doesn't actually finish in the day of the vengeance of our God, because that's in AD 70. He is talking about. The Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor is the year yeah, of the is, Jubilee. Is, is the year of Jubilee. Yes. That's the 50th week. Yep. You're in the NIV. I'm sure other yeah, ones seven times 70 is 49. Right. Yep. And Jesus said, I've come to preach the Jubilee year. God's timing is impeccable. And he says this, he says this because he is, what does Jesus call himself? He, Several things. The son of man. Yes. No, he calls himself the son, son of man, man, son yes. of man, son of man, son of man, because of Daniel. Okay, he is pointing himself to Daniel. He's like, go back to Daniel. Go back to Daniel. I'm the son of man. Here I am. This is my kingdom. I'm setting it up right now. Okay. So I want to uh, read to you a little bit from Ken Gentry, who gives a really a, a great account accounting of this. So 77s is also covenantal. 
70 covers 10 mm. of these seven week periods, thereby standing for a tenfold wow. jubilee. A tenfold jubilee. The number 10 symbolizes completion in that it represents the full number of digits on a man's hands. Thus, the 70 weeks, um, the 77's weeks would appear to point to a complete redemptive jubilee. Like that's the end. It's right. just jubilee from there on out. Yes. This must point to Christ who brings in the ultimate jubilee of full and complete redemption. And who is the leading point of Daniel's prophecy. Consequently, the 70 weeks uh, de uh, demarcates the period in which the messianic redemption was to be accomplished. Awesome. And so we read Isaiah 1 through 3 uh, and Jesus reads that in Luke 4. So Luke 16 and uh, go ahead and read that. I don't think that. it's Luke 16, but it's Luke something verse 16. You're right. So he came to Nazareth where he had been. Luke 4. Okay. Where he had been brought up and as was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And you and read, we just that read that in verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all were, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today. When? Today. Yesterday? Tomorrow? To no. In the future, 2,000 years? It was actually yesterday, yes. Yesterday does apply. Ah, yes. trick question. <laughs> Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in, in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through their midst of them, he went his way. That's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. So I want to give some precedent for weeks, uh, days, and years. So in Genesis 29, Jacob labors a week for Rachel. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. So you see that in the Bible, um, uh, Nahum was it, or Laban was telling Jacob complete a week, mm. but that was seven years. Okay, Numbers fourteen: the forty years of wandering uh, result from forty days of spying in the land. Now, according to the number of days which you spied in the land, forty days. For every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years. And in Ezekiel uh, employs the same standard of prophetic measure as Daniel. I have laid on you a day for each year. All right. So when did Daniel's uh, week start? 925 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So at first we might su suspect Cyrus's uh, decree in 530, Cyrus's. Cyrus's decree in 538 BC, which is mentioned in Second Chronicles. And in Ezra, certainly Cyrus gives a command to rebuild the city, uh, Isaiah 44, 28. Yet the bulk of the references to his decree deal with the temple's rebuilding. The temple's rebuilding. 
Daniel, however, specifically speaks of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Though the Jews made half-hearted efforts to rebuild Jerusalem after Cyrus's decree, the city long remains little more than a sparsely populated unwalled village. Yet Daniel speaks to the command to restore. That roop is a shub, which is to return. Jerusalem, Daniel 9.25. This requires a return to its original integrity and grandeur as per Jeremiah's prophecy. Um, I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and will rebuild those places as the first, Jer Jeremiah 33, 7. This must involve the restoring of the city complete with its streets and protective wall. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Okay, Daniel 9, 25. However, the Jews did not seriously undertake this until the middle of the 5th century BC. Uh, this is Hensenberg appoints to the decree of uh, our tax as as a worse no our, it's our tax in uh in nehemiah 2 1 as the beginning point where he argues is 455 bc j uh barton Payne and c uh boutflower direct our attention to the spiritually charged endeavor under ezra in ezra 7 11 through 26 as the starting point this date would be 458 or 457 bc now the wise men are you ready for this now everybody wonder how come our whole story that we follow is these wise men love them but ain't nobody know where they got this whole prophecy of Messiah how did coming. they know what were they looking at with the star and the thing and the, the thing. wise men came from babylon they they were waiting for about 500 years looking for the messiah and why we don't exactly know why do they where did the wise men come from historically they come from the Babylon area, the, the right? White. Yeah, but they also come from Daniel. They were Daniel yeah. and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, exactly, they, they were, were the part wise, of yeah. the wise men. This was a thing that had carried on for generations, and they are literally directly in that line. Maybe not blood wise, but the line of the occupation so of those wise men. These wise men were considered and are considered to have been serious students of prophecy. They were spirit-led Gentiles that lived in the east around Babylon, where they had found and studied Daniel's writings. By studying Daniel 9 and considering that a priest in Israel had to be 30 years of age before beginning his ministry, they had calculated an approximate time for the appearing of the Messiah. Meaning they had to go backwards. They're like, wait, this applies to now, okay? Like, we're looking at this now, so then, okay, how old would he have been? And they're looking at the timelines. It can be assumed that they counted 483 years from the decree of, how do you say it again? It's not Xerxes. You're thinking it's, it's yeah. Xerxes, but it's not. It's our tax Xerxes. Okay. In 457 BC, and then subtracted 30 years from their conclusion to determine the approximate year of Jesus' birth. Well, we consider that the round trip journey to see baby Jesus could have taken up to two years traveling at night. We detect the intensity of their desire to see the Messiah. Wise men do not go to such extremes for foolish reasons. That's like why, the prophets they're called wise Simeon men. and Anna, they too long to personally behold the Savior of the world. The fact that the wise men were there at the birth of Jesus is a solid confirmation that the decree of our tax disease in five in four fifty seven BC was understood to be the correct decree for the starting countdown. Technically, they were there when he was like a toddler, but yeah. The presence of the wise men in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth or the two years after is an undeniable statement that Daniel uh, about Daniel 9. For there is no other prophecy in the Bible pinpointing the time of the Messiah's appearing other than Daniel 9. 
What is so ironic is that these Gentiles were watching and waiting for the sign of the Messiah while the Jewish leaders were in total ignorance. Perhaps some of the Jewish elders had experienced false messianic excitement before. So what does their attitude about the birth of Christ actually say about their understanding of Daniel 9? All right, so this is where it gets a little bit technical just because of the years and how they line up. But when you, I take a bird's eye view and I'm like, wow, Daniel prophesied when Jesus was going to come and the Messiah came. And if they were not very accurate in their predictions, mm -hmm. why then did Herod believe them to the point that he had all male children killed? Hmm. All right, so most dispensationalists compute the years by Jewish 360-day years. Adopting any of these closely related scenarios, we discover a possible reason the Jews expect the Messiah in the first century, um, as he does actually appear at that time. And if you would like to um, uh, show people um, this chart, and you can look at this, I'm going to go in in greater detail as we as we go up over over this in just a second. Okay, in the final analysis, the decree of Ezra in in 457 BC during the seventh year of or Taxerzes, I can never say it, seems to be the best possibility. Ezra certainly understands this as permitting the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. This would carry the first 69 years up to AD 26 omitting a year in the calculation because no year zero exists between 1 uh, BC and AD 1, which is the year of Christ's ministry, ministry opens. The Romans then crucify him three and one half years later in AD 30, a date accepted by most evangelical scholars. And when I was doing this research, it's very interesting because some people point Jesus as, as, as zero, as year zero being born, but most scholars point Jesus as being born about four years BC. Okay. And that Jesus, when he was crucified was actually, um, he has started his ministry at, at 30. And then he goes on for three years in his, in his ministry and he's crucified in 8030 around 33 years of age or 34 years of age. Okay. All right. So I'm not nitpicking over these dates because they're so stinking accurate of about 400, 490 years between th these two things beginning. Uh, it's so close. It's Do so you right explain on this chart while they're looking no, at it. I don't, I'm reading, I'm reading the explaining of the chart. Oh, so you want me to leave it up? Though? No, just take it down. You can take okay. It. All right. So. References decades after Cyrus's decree make abundantly clear that little was done towards rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah laments that Jerusalem walls are broken down. Zechariah speaks of Jerusalem as being destroyed in his day. The enemies of the Jews warn, um, I can't ever say his name, or Taxerzes, that the Jews will become a problem if they rebuild the city. This explains why Ezra mentions Jerusalem's utter aff uh, affliction even to this day, Ezra 9. The process of, diligently, uh, of diligent rebuilding climaxes in Jerusalem's restoration. This process probably begins either in seed during the spiritual revival under Ezra, Ezra 7, or in, actual, or in actuality under the administration of Nehemiah. Several political commands prepare for the restoring of Jerusalem, as well as one divine command. So the elders of the Jews built and they proposed 
prospered, excuse me, through their through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Ido, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra 6. All right, so the first period of seven weeks must mark off some event. In that Daniel distinguishes it from the other two periods. If it were not significant, he would speak of 69 weeks rather than seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Hmm. Although we cannot be certain, this seven weeks uh, or for 49 years apparently covers the period of Jerusalem's actual rebuilding. The Jews rebuild the city during this era, despite the opposition in troublesome times that God ordains. That's in um, Daniel 9.25. The second period of 62 weeks extends from the conclusion of Jerusalem's rebuilding to Messiah's formal introduction to Israel at his baptism. This is sometime around AD 26. Conservative scholars widely agree on such an interpretation, which is virtually universal among Christian Christians uh, who exegese scripture, in, excluding dispensationalists. Dispensationalists say that there is a gap between the 69 and the 70th week, when God will once again turn his attention in a special way to his people, the Jews, and his holy city, Jerusalem, as outlined in Daniel 24, clearly then the dispensationalist adopts a de de decidedly futurist approach to this prophecy when he gets past the first 69 weeks. Now, earlier Sam had said, I don't understand a gap theory or why they would put a gap between the 69 and 70th, 70th week. And she asks, are there any gaps in between any of the other weeks? No, no, there are not. No, but they, they signify things that, um, like the, the first, the first seven weeks, the 49 years signify something important. And then there's this huge, swath of time where nothing seems to happen right and then he's like and then you're going to look at this last week mm -hmm. this 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 last period of time keep your eyes open yes that's why he distinguishes that from the rest lorraine has given you a way to say our tax disease where read uh, it out loud her tax hurts see <laughs> that's why i'm laughing her tax hurts see <laughs> I can do it. Her tax hurts. See, I, can get it. I got it, Lorraine. Thank you. I'm Thank you. That was too good. I just want to end the show there. Thank you, Lorraine. Her tax hurts. See, her tax hurts. See, her tax hurts. See, her tax hurts. See. Okay. Any, I'm I've... never gonna read it right again ever. I'm sorry, that was just too much. Oh, Everybody together. Her, her tax, tax hurts, hurt, see? <laughs> All right, so when was Jesus born? From oh, theology today, I, I lean more to the uh, 2 to 3 BC, but this is an excellent outline. I've got a, a link here. What year was Jesus born? What kind of question is that? If our calendar year is broken up into BC before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, doesn't that mean that Jesus was born in zero? Actually, the issue is a bit more complex than that. Starting the calendar year with the birth of Christ, uh, start, starting the calendar year with the birth of Christ didn't come about until the sixth century, when a monk named Dionysus did his best to calculate when Christ was born. Okay, so just know that it wasn't until the the seven hundreds that we had this calendar at all. Right. So it's not perfect. He used scripture and the historical information available to him and calculated that Jesus was born in the 753rd year of the Roman Empire. So that year was redubbed 81. 
and uh, we kept adding on it from there. However, information would eventually come to light which showed that the well-intentioned monk made some errors. By anal analyzing new information related to the chronological markers provided in scripture, scholars were able to see that Jesus was born a few years later than initially thought. What year was Jesus born? Here's uh, what many scholars say. This is why many scholars say Jesus was born between 5 and 6 BC. Although the gospel writers do not focus primarily on preserving a per precise chronolo uh, chronological history of Jesus' life and ministry, we can still approximate some key dates. Now, number one, in those days, a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when um, Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went, uh, went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. Um, and then we see this familiar passage from the Gospel of Luke states that these events took place when Quirinius. That's good. I like how you said that. Quirinius. You can say that. Was governor of Syria. While there is some scholarly debate on the matter, many date uh, Quirinius' de declaration no. of the census to about 8 BC. No. Did you say no? Quirinius. Okay. You can say you it. You put two N's in there. You I was Quirinius. trying to just be quick. Okay. I told Quirinius. you. That, oh, no. I did tell you the other day to just do that. Say it with confidence. Quirinius. But then you said no. I feel bad. I'm sorry. And believe that it would be. It would have taken a couple years for the decree to be executed. I don't know how to say it. I just Additionally, we know from Matthew 2 that Herod sought to have the child uh, spoken of by the Magi killed and that Jesus' family fled to Egypt. He was not a refugee, by the way. Um, he came back. Jesus' family fled to Egypt and lived there until Herod died. So we know that Jesus had to be born before the death of Herod, and he actually died about 4 BC. Very this means that Jesus would have been born after 8 BC and before 4 BC. Okay? This is not perfect math, guys. It's about math. So let's check some of this math. Clearly, Jesus being born in any year before Christ, BC, is earlier than what we would expect. Can this be right? Is there some way to doubly check this? Thankfully, there is. We can see how this date for Jesus' birth fits with the other chronological markers in scriptures. For example, does this number work out when taking into consideration Jesus' ministry in crucifixion? Now, in the 50th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of, another, of the region of uh, Eteria and some other places that I'm not going to pronounce... Uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, so John the Baptist in the 50th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Okay, there's some time markers here. This passage speaks to when John the Baptist begins his ministry as the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, as underlined above, it references the 15th year of the reign of Ti uh, Tiberius, which began when he became co-emperor with uh, Augustus in AD 11. That would place the 15th year of his reign at AD 26, which helps us understand when John began his ministry. From here, we can look to scripture for an indication of how long Jesus's earthly ministry lasted before his crucifixion. So we see Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30, 30 years, years of age. age. You know they don't give us an exact. They I just know. say about. Yep. It's scripture, but it says about. Yep. He could have been 29. He could have been 31. He was about 30. Okay. Okay. This is not, this does not need to be rocket science, but it's going to, mm -hmm. you're going to see all these numbers add up. It's really cool. 
All right, so the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was roughly 30 when he began his ministry. John's Gospel mentions at least three Passovers during the ministry of Christ. This indicates that his earthly ministry lasted at least two years. It is very likely lasted almost three full years because there's three Passovers. But guys, this is not like super like Because it can accurate. be two years if it starts like right before the first Passover yeah. and ends right at the third. So if Jesus' ministry began when he was baptized by John around AD 26 and lasted for roughly three years, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We can estimate that Jesus' death and resurrection occurred around AD 29 to AD 30. Taking Luke 3, 23 into account, Jesus would have been between 34 and 36 when he died. Hmm. If Jesus was between 34 and 36 at his death in AD 29 to 30, this would put his birth at uh, around uh, 5 to 6 BC. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wasn't he 33 when he died? Many, if not most of us, have heard sermons which state that Jesus was 33 when he died. The problem is that scripture does not tell us that explicitly. It is a conclusion reached primarily by the estimate that Jesus' ministry lasted about three years and that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Keep in mind two things. First, Estimates by scholars are fallible and scripture is not. The above logic could be off or adjusted if archaeological findings provide new information. Second, it would not be inaccurate for Luke to say that Jesus was about 30 years old if he was really 30 or even 33. We use such language all the time. The fact that scripture uses about in this instance allows for a few years either direction. Now, the above information comes largely from Thomas D. Lee and David Allen Black's book, The New Testament, Its Background and Message, and their conclusions seem sound. Other scholars have reached similar conclusions. Dr. Harold Horner of Dallas Theological Seminary argues in the chronology aspects of the life of Jesus that Jesus was born about 4 or 5 BC and was about 37 to 38 years old when he died. Uh, Andreas Kostenberg uh, uh, and Justice Taylor suggest the final days of Jesus, the most important week of the most important person who ever lived, that Jesus was between 33 and 35 when he began his ministry and 36 to 38 when he was crucified. So there you have it. While there is not a perfect agreement among biblical scholars on this issue, many are confident that we can take the birth of Jesus Christ between the year 4 and 6 AD. Um, other information from scripture and history fits this they time frame. BC. Yeah. That was a typo. Okay. Although faith is certainly the evidence of things unseen, there is great value in seeing uh, that we can uh, trust the historicity of the Christian gospel and the life of Jesus through various sources outside of scripture. All right. For example, corroboration for information recorded in the New Testament can be found in the writings of ancient historians, such as Josephus, Tacius, and Pliny the Younger's letter to Emperor Trajan. Uh, these three sources corroborate information regarding Christ's crucifixion, the spread of Christianity, and the practice of singing, singing hymns worshiping Jesus. In the end, our understanding of certain aspects of biblical events and people can be informed by examining extra-biblical information. Now, the sixfold purpose of Daniel 9.24. Number one, Israel completing her transgression against God. Let us notice first that the 70 weeks will result in the finishing of the transgression. Can you can somebody just underline that? I should have that underlined. I'm sorry. Remember that Daniel's prayer of confession regards Israel's sins and the prophecy's focus is on Israel. That's Any, what I pointed out. Anybody earlier. else? No. Okay. Consequently, this finishing Kala, the transgression refers to Israel's completing her transgression against God. Not the whole world. You got this is the whole world or Israel's. All right. This occurs when Israel culminates her resistance to God by rejecting his son and having him crucified. As Christ himself prophesies in parabolic form, go ahead, last of all, where? 
right here. Last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Matthew 21. All right. Number two, upon finishing the transgression against God by rejecting the Messiah, that's the ultimate transgression. Yes. To finish the transgression. Right. That's it. To finish the transgression is the covenant is over. We're Let done. Let me tell y'all something. There's no more. It, it, I just want to make this very clear. Jewish people not believing in Jesus as the Messiah is not the same transgression as them killing him. Okay. So people may say, well, they're still transgressing because they don't believe in Jesus as their Messiah. No, 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 it's no, 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 It's those who didn't believe him as a result of Daniel's prophecy. And then killed him. That's the end, guys. The, after that, they're just people yeah. who don't believe in Jesus, just right. like your neighbor. Right. Okay. Who's not Jewish. Okay. Exactly. So um, the idea here is to seal or to reserve sins for punishment. And that's what he sets that up. And that's what 8070 was about. Right. The punishment and jesus says that in luke and luke and in matthew 23 all all the blood of all the prophets is coming on this generation he literally says this generation within 40 years this generation it all fits so perfectly it's tied up in a bow and sent as a present to you all you got to do is open it up um so, okay, so upon finishing the transgression against God by rejecting the Messiah. Okay, because of Israel, Israel's rejecting of her Messiah, God reserves punishment for her. God will execute her punishment by finally and conclusively destroying her temple. Boom. But God, and that's what he's saying. You know what's so cool? Temple built, temple destroyed. Boom. Boom. Okay. They're bookends. God reserves this punishment from the time of Jesus' crucifixion in AD 70 or AD 30 until AD 70. His is a major point. In the Lord's Olivet discourse, that's what you read in Matthew 24. Though just before his crucifixion, Christ says, Your house is left to you, what? Desolate. Which we just read in Daniel. Then he reserves his judgment for one generation. All right, number three. The third result, beginning uh, with the second couplet there, provides reconciliation for iniquity. The Hebrew word for reconciliation is kafar, which we may also translate atonement. It clearly speaks of Christ's atoning death, which is the ultimate atonement to which all temple rituals point. The ultimate atonement. This also occurs during his earthly ministry at his death. The dispensationalist, okay, the, the rapturites, the dispensationalists, the Tim LaHaye's, the end timer, the left behind people prefer to interpret this result as application rather than affecting, as subjective, subjective appropriation instead of objective accomplishment, like it kind of happened. Uh, Walverd admits that this result seems to be rather a, a rather clear picture of Christ on the cross. But then he asserts that the actual application of it is again associated with the second advent, the second coming, as far as Israel is concerned. So Israel's atonement hasn't happened yet. But there's no delineation of that or different, different, I don't know what word I'm looking for there. It, it, there's no divergence. On the basis of the Hebrew word, that passage, that passage is atonement, and we have that atonement. So number four, the result, everlasting righteousness and no more sacrifices. Christ lays his life down once and for all for the atonement of sin. Go ahead, but now. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God, you have that in there twice, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference 
For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And that's Romans. And so uh, three. So what the dispensationalists and the end timers do is they say the grace that we have, the atonement we have, is not anywhere prophesied in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And it certainly isn't prophesied in Daniel. Right. That ours was only spoken of by Jesus. And and we, the church, have a different atonement than Israel and Jews. And I'll tell you why that's ridiculous. Because when you read the lesser prophets and you read throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly pointing to this gentile region it doesn't say gentile i have people that were not my people that are going to come in the god is constantly prophesying about the gentiles throughout the old testament yeah and it's dripping with and a type and shadow of that is usually when he says an egypt will come in these are Mm -hmm. the gentiles coming in so what is everlasting righteousness it's what you and i receive when we make jesus lord and savior this is this is so cool this this I hope that when you guys are done here and we haven't even, we're not even going to get to Daniel 12 tonight. It's crazy, crazy good. Um, I hope that you read Daniel differently Mm. and you recognize that this was a special prophetic word for Israel, but God in his mercy knew that it would be for everyone. Yeah. And this is now for you. You are now with Israel. You are now one with Israel. Okay, remember all the 12 disciples, they were, were the 12 disciples, they, they believed that these, this was scripture was for them. Yeah. And so when they went to go preach it to Cornelius as the Gentiles, they were shocked to know that the Gentiles were, got, got this kingdom thing. They were like, oh, look at that. Y'all get to come too. And then they had to have meetings. Right. Because they're like, do? wait a minute, do we keep the law? Do we not keep the law? Do we tell them to keep the law? And they're like, do not sleep around and don't eat that food sacrificed to idols. Otherwise, we are gonna we have Christian liberty and sin is just sin now. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Treat the other people the way you want them to be treated. Have your mind pure and righteous. Think on goodness, think on holiness. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into all righteousness. Right. Okay, all right. The completion. The completion, the sealing of the prophecy is, is limited by the express statement of purpose in Daniel 9, the full accomplishing of the de- redemption from sin through the blood atonement. So when he seals up the prophecy, we, we don't have something else. We don't have any other things. It is literally the atonement for sin. Because Daniel is talking about atonement, a type and shadow. The type and shadow that Daniel's looking to is the, the end of the the 70 years and going to rebuild this temple. And that is a type and shadow and forgiveness to do that, right? They had to be forgiven to do that. All right. So the type and shadow is now 70 weeks, which is 490 years. Okay. And then you see the complete atonement, the complete Jubilee year. Okay. All right. So we see the sealing up of the prophecy is for the atonement of, of, of all sin. And Christ does this and go read that. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Can we just stop there? We're done. We're just done with the show. Luke 18, 31. Luke 24, 44. And Acts 3, 18. We're done. We're done. We're going up and all the things 
that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. So I'm going to read Acts 3. Uh, Peter is giving um, his first sermon. Love it's it. It's very exciting. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, by the now, way. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did your leaders, but go ahead and read verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people so that is a fulfillment he's saying the time is now we are here okay i'm going to do luke um 24 luke 24 44 let me read a comment question here from okay. sherry i'm confused it says after the second period of 62 weeks is jesus's baptism but in daniel it says messiah will be cut off after 62 weeks okay please don't go anywhere okay Please don't go anywhere. We're building a case. Uh, we're going to answer this. And uh, Luke 24, 44. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Can we just circle that? Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That everything, everything, everything. Okay, we are going to answer you. Just hold on. Um. The completion is the sealing of we the prophecy. That. Okay. Number six, anoint the most holy. I've always read this as Jesus had no idea what the end timers were preaching. No, 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 no. I've always read this as Jesus and, and had no idea. I'm sorry. Thank you. Slow it down. You'll, we'll, we'll get through it. I should have a comma there. And had no idea what the end timers were preaching to anoint the most holy. This anointing, which is the mashach, speaks of the formal introduction of Christ by means of his baptism rather than the anointing of the temple. This seems clear from the following. The overriding concern of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is messianic. The temple built after the Babylonian captivity will be destroyed after the 70 weeks. Daniel makes no further mention of it, nor does his prophecy allow for its rebuilding or millennium. Uh, in the verses following the anointing, Daniel mentions the Messiah, the anointed one, twice. Um, contrary to the interpretation of some dispensationalists, no temple is anointed in scripture. Uh, that's what they're, they're thinking that it's a temple that's anointed. Whether Solomon's original temple, Zerubbabel's rebuilt temple, Ezekiel's visionary temple, or Herod's expanded temple. Thus, even some dispensationalists uh, will allow that Christ himself is the view of this. I'm going to read that again. To anoint the most holy. To anoint the most holy, because some dispensations say anoint, the, anointing the most holy is the temple, but it's just Jesus. Yeah, and it's it has capital. To be. It has the, to be. The, the, um, it just means the mm -hmm. Messiah. All right. The phrase most holy speaks of the Messiah, who is the holy one who is to be born. Isaiah prophesies of Christ in the ultimate redemptive jubilee. And the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings okay, to the poor. We read, we read that, read that. It's one that should be ingrained in you all. Yeah, that's Luke um, chapter four. And today this scripture is fulfilled. Um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Just keep going. 
Yes. All the way down. It's it's the whole Isaiah 61. Just just read it. It's so good. Uh, at his baptismal anointing, the Spirit comes upon him, Mark 1, 9 through 11, to prepare him for his ministry, of which we read three verses later. Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What? Preaching the what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying the time is fulfilled. The 69th week, question mark. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Christ is preeminently the anointed one. And that there's so many scriptures there uh, that we could read. Uh, Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God we is at hand. We just read that, but we okay, read it no. again because it's helpful. Right, because we're, we're setting a case. Now, here's your answer, the 70th week. Here we come. At the time, Messiah shall be cut off. What the heck? The English rendering cut off translated the Hebrew karath, which is which is used of the death penalty. Leviticus 7.20 and refers to a violent death. Thus, it refers to the death of Christ on the cross. Given the Hebraic pattern of repetition, we may easily discern a parallel between verses 26 and 27. Verse 27 expands on verse 26. Negatively, Messiah's cutting off in verse 26 results from Israel's completing her transgression, culminating in verse 24. In her crucifying the Messiah, verse 27 states, He shall confirm a covenant with them for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Positively then, confirming the covenant with many affects reconciliation and brings in everlasting righteousness. Thus, these parallels refer to the same event when viewed from the two angels' blessing and curse. Angles. Oh. Angles, yeah, two angles. But both occur within the 70 weeks. So, what are we going to make of the confirming of the covenant in verse 27? This surely refers to the prophesied covenantal actions of verse 24. These actions result from the perfect covenantal jubilee, the 70 weeks. And Michelle, I want you to go ahead and and, and read Daniel. I've got it. I'm going to sort of read it right here. I'm going to read this one more time so we can not go too far. 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon your holy city. So the Israelites, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy one. Jesus is saying, all these things are fulfilled. We're going to seal this up. It's going to be done. Know therefore and understand that from the going and the forth of the commandment to the restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, 62 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troubles and times. And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for, by himself or for himself. Okay. And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be a flood and unto the end of the war desolation is determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured out on desolate. Now, um, I am going to read to you um, my Bible study notes here in the archaeological Bible. The prophecy, a prophecy that presumably, in contrast to the gentle, general prophecies of Daniel 9, and 2, and 7, 
pinpointed the exact time within the fourth kingdom when the Messiah would appear. Almost all scholars agree that weeks designate 490 years. The prophecy is divided. The successive periods are described as 7, 62, and 1, dated from and until in Daniel 9:27. They are determinative. Its purposes regard Israel, redemption, the Messiah, the sacrifices, and Jerusalem. Um, and three primary points of view are held, and I want you guys to know them. The critical view points that the prophecy was written by a pseudo-Daniel in uh, 165 BC and synchronizes inaccurately with the history between 586 BC, uh, Jerusalem's fall, and 164 BC, Antichotus. The dispensational view is that the 69 weeks terminating before Jesus' crucifixion, leaving the 70th week, uh, the present age being a great parenthesis. That's what they call it. The gap theory is a great parenthesis. Okay. To be fulfilled in the great tribulation. The conservative or traditional view asserts that the 70th week was introduced at Jesus' baptism and bisected three and a half years by his death and thus causing the sacrifices to cease. And I'm going to show you what those other three years were in a minute. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, it makes so much sense to me. That's the traditional view. Dispensationalists came up with the gap theory. So I also want to, back to uh, Sherry's question where she says, I'm confused. The second period of the 62 weeks is Jesus' baptism, but in no. Daniel it says Messiah will be cut off after the 62 weeks. She's, no, I think she's talking about the, the 70th week. She's confused on the second half well, of the no, 70th week. Well, no, what it is, is it starts with seven years. Yeah. Then we add 62 to that. And then there's one more week. And then there's, so it's not starting with 62, then seven, then one. It's right. seven, 62, then one. Okay. And I think, I thought you were asking about the second half of the 70th week, because we're getting to that right now. Uh, what does that mean? That concludes part one of episode 14. We're just getting started. Head over to the video list to watch part two. You don't want to miss it.